My life is not my own. To the Lord we belong. It's hard to give ourselves away. Uh, easy to sing, really hard to do. And in the sermon proper, which will be in in maybe 10 minutes or so, I'll come back to that idea. I'd like to, uh, my name is Douglas Jacoby. If we've not met before, you're welcome here at North River. It's good to see all of you this early Sunday morning. And as you can see, the title of the sermon today is something we don't talk about very much, but are you possessed? And after I finish my mission sharing, I'm going to talk about the kind of my comings and goings the last quarter of the year. Um, this is kind of the, the whole year. Let's, uh, I, I want to share with you about October and November, okay? This just warms me up. Hopefully it warms you up and gives you some inspiration. I've had the chance to be in a number of Canadian cities in this last year, uh, particularly in uh, Calgary and also in, uh, in Winnipeg. And uh, I have a special relationship with a lot of the Canadian churches. I don't know if it's because I have a lot of dead Canadian relatives in Nova Scotia or whether just culturally it's a better fit. But between two weekends, I had an opportunity between Calgary and Winnipeg, I had a chance to be in the Canadian Rockies alone for 88 hours and have a personal spiritual retreat. I do this every year. Um, it's been five years since the previous one, but it's like that annual physical. You do it every year, even if you don't do it every year, but you really should. We need time away because the world is noisy and it makes a lot of demands, especially this time of year. Then the next place, this is October, I was in the United Kingdom. United Kingdom does not include Ireland except for Northern Ireland. That's the UK. I went to, uh, first I went to London, uh, just teaching a number of brothers from around, uh, kind of teacher training and a free, wide-ranging discussion. That was great. And then I went to Birmingham. And I have many relatives who live in Birmingham. Um, as well as in other parts of the UK. So I stayed with them, which was actually really good. And I, I was able to speak on the, when God is silent, they wanted me to talk about the problem of human suffering. But as I pointed out to the audience, if we're gonna be honest about these things, we shouldn't be using pictures that are 13 years old. <laughs> but we did talk about the problem of uh, suffering and a lot of guests there, even a lot of people who I know um, from the 80s when we were there at the very beginning. Stayed with the family. Um, I'd met all them before, but not their new dog, Thor. So that's Thor there. <laughs> at the end of October, I headed to Israel for our third uh, tour of the year. Um, it was a busy time. It's actually, uh, this was the busiest time Israel's ever had in its history when it comes to travel. But for some reason, even though there were so many people, every time we got to a busy place, it's like everyone left or they were just leaving. It was really quite stunning. I'd love to tell you more about this, but I'm just trying to uh, stir up envy in you <laughs> so that some of you may be saved. No, so that you may save up for such a trip yourselves. Here we are singing in the garden. Um, uh, I do the tour when, when it's more than 40 or 50 people. My friend Steve Kennard comes. That's Stephen Lee, part of the New York church. And that was the group, just a, a group of about 80 people. Here we are on the Mount of Olives. Uh, next year, it's Turkey. It's in October, and you're welcome. It's half filled up already, but that is the number two land of the Bible. Well, what is still to come? In a couple of weeks, I'll be heading to South Africa, which is a really special country for many of us in this room because you visited it or you have a passport. Johannesburg, of course, um, it's late spring there. The summer's coming on uh, because this is December. Uh, then I'll be heading, actually traveling with a couple, I know, um, from 
uh, one of the Israel tours, they'll be joining me with, in all the cities I've visited in Africa. They're coming from San Antonio. So after there, we'll be going to Madagascar. <laughs> Not that one, but this one, that island there, that huge island. It's probably best known, apart from that, it's probably best known for its monkeys. It's got lemurs, and that's where they live. They live there, and they live in Duke Forest in Durham. Uh, that's pretty much where lemurs live. Uh, but we'll be with the church there. Uh, they speak a number of languages, but the most common language is French, uh, which will be a little problem for me, but I'll be faithful. There's Antananarivo, the capital. Then we'll be heading to Malawi, uh, to Blantyre. If you're not sure, if Mal Malawi is the country right there. I remember my first landlord in Sweden, she was from Malawi. That's the first time I learned about Malawi. I supposed to go there last year. I was in Cape Town, but I got really sick. I had to be in bed and cancel, so I was really looking forward to seeing them. That's coming up. And at the end of the year will be the holidays with family. We'll be in Scotland, and I'll have a chance up there in Edinburgh to preach the word. It's a beautiful city, great way to end the year. So that's what I've been doing the last quarter. Thank you for your contribution to help me to do that. Uh, with the travel, especially in places where I don't charge and where they, they couldn't pay anyway. Uh, last week was interesting. I had a chance to attend a debate by Sheikh Shabir Ali and James White at Georgia Tech. I also saw my friend Paul Copen, the one I co-authored the Genesis book with recently. There's Paul, professor of philosophy. So it was a very interesting uh, few days leading up. And then on Wednesday, I just got my, our new book. It's, we have it out there if you're interested, Informed, Untangling Destructive Interpretations of Scripture. It's a very short book, very small book, but hopefully it's important. And Joey Harris and I, uh, we wrote it together. We really hope this will meet a lot of needs and be very practical. That's it. If you have an incredible vision, like 25 uh, uh, vision, then you can see all that right there. All right, well, let's talk about this, shall we? Because in an audience this size, there will be a number who are possessed. It might be sitting right next to you. It's very possible. Exorcism, possession is a topic we don't often talk about. Now, if you're really interested, I've got more material at my website. If I asked you the most famous possessed person, most of you would probably say that guy, right? If you know the word, you know legion. What's your name, Jesus says? I'm legion, for we are many. However, that's actually, let, let me explain. This is not just the odd person. The kind of possession we're focusing on today, it affects people of all ages, but especially people in their middle ages. Not their middle age, their middle age. I want you to think about this, because I think that we're, much more at risk to the influence of the evil one in those years. Middle age, whenever you count that, but probably 30s, 40s, 50s, possibly 60s is middle age if you're li living to 110. And we're going to actually talk about a fellow who was possessed who's called the rich young man or the rich young ruler. It may not be the kind of possession you're thinking of, but that is who we're going to look at. And this account is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke has a special emphasis on money, stewardship, possessions. And so we're going to use Luke's version for a couple of reasons. But we'll be in Luke 18, 18. If you can't see the screen, get your Bible, and you can follow along that way. In fact, there's an interesting contrast because we have uh, two men who seem to be possessed, possessed. 
One is freed, one is not. I did a series of mini-sermons, the two thieves on the cross, even Barnabas compared to Ananias and Sapphira. They all center around this theme of possessions, wealth, what we do with it, because that's one of Luke's main themes, much stronger there than in the other Gospels. And if you want those, you can find those short messages at YouTube. Uh, use the word, I faith. Well, also, as an aside, look at some of the passages that our man should have been familiar with, some of the passages in the Old Testament on this very topic. So if you're ready, I'd like to begin now. We're in Luke 18, 18, a certain ruler. And if you go to Mark uh, 10, if you go to Matthew 19, you learn a little bit more about him. You learn that he's rich, which is significant. And you also learn that he's young. Those don't always go together unless you're like a dot-com billionaire. Good for you. Okay. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. If you know the story, you know that was not the answer this fellow was hoping for. If we're honest, many of us would not want that to be the answer. If we asked the Lord, what one thing am I lacking? He said, uh, liquidate your retirement accounts. Uh, downsize. You won't need running water. You'll live in a pup tent or a dress unknown. That would be very challenging in a society that values security as much as we do. Well, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. There's a correlation here. Very sad, very wealthy. If he was only a little bit wealthy, presumably he'd be a little bit less sad. But Jesus looked at him and said, see, this is why I'm saying this is for middle-aged people. It's not that if you're 20, you won't get something out of it. You can. At least it will prepare you for what is to come in the next couple decades. But this is especially for people in, can I say our age range? Can I put myself in middle age? I don't think of myself that way anymore, but maybe. Okay. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier, indeed, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which apparently is very difficult, than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Well, this guy who runs up to Jesus, takes the initiative, actually falls down before him, seems very sincere. He's decent. He's likable. He's religious. He knows the commandments. And in his society, people normally viewed wealth as a sign of divine approval. If you're wealthy, it's considered that you're doing something right and God is for you. Whereas those poor people, they're poor in more than one way. Poor people, they don't have money. God's not blessing them. It's so similar to what you'll get today. This is Sunday. You'll hear this in many congregations, on the airwaves, internet, all around the world. The more holy you are, the bigger your bank account will be, which, of course, is fairly just nonsense. 
Now, I realize that some of you are tuning out right now. I can tell because I have a monitor here that shows me websites that people are visiting. I can see in row seven over there. I'm not going to name the websites, but I am monitoring you right now. Now, you may be tuning out for a different reason. We don't think of ourselves as wealthy. So I, I did a quick check on a GDP per capita. There are richer countries. I mean, Monaco is richer than us, so we don't have to feel too bad. Well, yeah, because you know, half the population are millionaires, and they only have about 22 residents. Okay, a little bit more. But the richer ones are all small countries. So our GDP per capita, 65,000, wow. Compared to Macedonia, the little country just to the north and east of Greece, it's about one-tenth of that. Uganda, around 650. This morning, ah, I checked the BBC, not for the sermon, I just happened to see in Congo this year, uh, per capita GDP is $550. So what this means is, you may not feel rich, but if you're not rich, no one's rich. If you're going to say, no, you have to be in the top 1% of the top 1% to be rich. Being in the top 1%, you're not rich because there are people richer than you. I mean, obviously, that's self-serving reasoning, and it would be a total shock to our brothers and sisters in most of the world, the way we rationalize these things. This man, this rich young ruler, seems to have been defined by his wealth. He could not imagine letting it go. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Look, let's tie it back in. Remember, Jesus said, easier for the rich, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. Who then can be saved? Jesus says, basically, it's impossible with man. But it's not impossible with God. And this is not to say that we don't have to worry about money as long as we are spiritual. We do have to worry about money, not because only we have bills to pay. We need to worry about money because money is very dangerous, and it could be corrupting, and usually is. Peter replies here, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, no one who was left home or wife or brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. Some people use this as though it's some kind of investment calculator, right? I put $50 in the plate on Sunday, and I'll get back a hundredfold, so I'll be waiting for that $5,000 check. This is not about money. You're, you're over-literalizing something by which doing you are diminishing the impact. He's not saying you're going to get a hundred times as many uh, homes, although in a way we are part of a huge family, but you can't go much further than that. It's not impossible to be saved if we're wealthy, according to Paul. But Paul himself warns of the dangers of riches. But let us say, Biblically, it's very difficult to be saved. And if you, if you look at wealthy people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, just make a list. In fact, if you know the Bible well, if you've been a Christian a few years, you've read through the whole Bible, skim. Just go chapter by chapter, just skim, and anytime you see someone and you can determine the economic status, 
have two columns. One would be uh, the economic status. The other is the relationship with God. And you'll see it's an inverse relationship. Normally, the more the money, the less likely they are to be following God. The more likely they are to be kidding themselves. Of course, in Cobb County, in Cherokee County, in Fulton County, we would never deceive ourselves because we're highly educated, right? So the passage doesn't apply to us. Psych, it really does. And so here's the question. Are money and things our possessions or do they possess us? What's your relationship with your bank account and your land and your assets? Do you possess them? Do they possess you? Because I think we can use the word that way. If they possess me, then I'm possessed. Oh, at least that's not as bad as being possessed by a, an evil spirit. Uh, is it? <laughs> we think that somehow you know, it would be much worse if you had an evil spirit. At least then I think there's a fairly simple solution, <laughs> biblically. But when you're possessed by money, what's the easy solution? Because <laughs> we're also blinded by money. And we're, we'll be told to calm down by our friends, neighbors, family, fellow church members. You don't have to be so radical. Now, if we went forward into the very next chapter, we would find another rich man, similar but different. His name is Zacchaeus. We won't be reading the story today. But briefly, Zacchaeus is the short man who wanted to see Jesus, so he climbs up a tree. Jesus sees him, invites him down. They spend time in Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus is declared by Jesus to be a true son of Israel, even though he's a dirty tax collector. Actually, he becomes clean. This is Zacchaeus. And if you're not familiar with that story, I hope that sometime today you'll open up to Luke and read the first 10 verses of chapter 19. That'll be a nice compliment. These men, the rich young men in Zacchaeus, are similar in various ways. They're wealthy. They take initiative. Well, the rich young ruler runs down and falls on his knees and asks Jesus, Zacchaeus goes up a tree. They're both uh, ways of approaching people I rarely use. They both take initiative. And both come to realize that a proper response to Jesus means parting with wealth. Now, in the rich young man's case, it was parting with all of his wealth. This is not to say he'd be left high and dry, but we just don't know. Zacchaeus, probably, even after he gave away half of his possessions... As I read Luke 19, he was probably still fairly wealthy. But a response to Jesus does affect your wallet, your purse. And if your faith doesn't affect your purse or your wallet, that part of your spiritual life has been neglected. And yet, it's arguably more important than many other things that you might suspect uh, deserve your emphasis. Emphasize that. And neither one actually had an excuse uh, Zacchaeus for being corrupt and not sharing. Uh, the rich uh, young man didn't really have an excuse either because he claimed to know the commandments. And if he's so good, shouldn't he know what the Bible teaches? And the Bible then, then was the Old Testament, obviously. There's no New Testament till later in this century. But what kinds of passages? Well, there are loads of passages that we would be familiar with. I was asked to work into my message today some of the lesser-known passages. We'll just fly over them. Like Deuteronomy 15. Actually, I think that's also Mark 14, 7. 
you know, the, the poor you always have among you can help them whenever you want. Deuteronomy 15 is interesting because it says if everyone is generous, there will be no poor people. But it also says there will always be poor people. So either Jesus is just giving two, two angles, two facets of the truth, or he's saying, well, no one's gonna, not everyone will be generous, so there'll always be poor people. I'm not quite sure how to read that, but it's one of probably a hundred passages in the Old Testament on helping the poor and the needy. And I would say the New Testament, by far, the greatest emphasis on how we use our money is to help the needy more than any other possible thing. Second Kings 5, this is where the servant of, nah- of Nahman, Nahman is a, or Naaman, is the Syrian commander. Uh, he's in the army, he has leprosy, and he goes to Israel to be cleansed. And at the end, he's so grateful, he makes an offer uh, to Gehazi. Gehazi is the servant of the prophet Elisha. And Gehazi says, no, we're okay, you know, we're, we're fine. Um, Elisha and Gehazi, they act the right way. But then Elisha goes home and Gehazi goes back secretly to Naaman and says, uh, actually, yeah, we, we could use some help here. And he loads up on the goodies and he hides them from his master. Just as he's about to go over the hill where Elisha would have seen him, he buries them in the ground. And then Elisha says, hey, wasn't my spirit with you? Didn't I know it was happening? God sees covetousness. That's the 10th commandment. By the way, that's not one of the 10 commandments that the rich young guy mentioned, okay, or that Jesus had a chance to mention. But that coveting where we want, we want, we want. 2 Kings 12, chapter 11 and 12 has so much negative stuff in them, but this is really good. Because in chapter 12, for a moment, we see that people are so trustworthy, they bring all that is required for the service of God's people. And in the terms of the workmen, they are so trustworthy, there's no need for an accountability. Can you imagine hiring someone to do a job who you trust is so much, there's no need even for a contract? You trust them that much? That's not our society, is it? Second Chronicles 25 a great passage on deposits and when it might be best to forfeit a deposit. Sometimes we're reaching out to people who would like to follow God, but they've already invested a certain amount of money in a, a certain uh, enterprise. Maybe it's a down payment on a trip or something. It's really not a good idea, but they would lose their deposit if they cancel. And so they're arguing that, you know, I, I shouldn't do that. By the way, that's, it's really bad logic because... Let's say you were going on a vacation and you'd already paid the deposit and you cancel the vacation. You might think, oh, I've lost all that money. Yeah, but you're going to save far more money just by staying at home, right, as opposed to going out on your vacation. So you win either way. It's a win-win. But uh, in this case, it was a huge deposit. And the, this leader does not want to give it up. And the prophet reasons with him. He does the right thing. He's criticized. People have a bad attitude towards him. But at the end of the day, it works out well. You should check out that passage. Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Do you have enough money? (laughs) Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with the income. Are you satisfied with your income? Now, many of us would say yes. Many of us would say no, maybe the majority. The thing is, if we're never satisfied with our income, it's really easy to hold back because we tell ourselves, well, when I get more, then I'll start being generous. But if you're never satisfied, then you'll never get to the point where you actually let go. Another cool passage in Ecclesiastes, through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. 
Now, this is not saying that if you're, if, you're, if you're lazy, you're sitting on your sofa, there's some kind of gravity coming out of you that causes the roof to, you know, to sag and then a hole opens up and water pours in from the rain. That's not what he's saying. He's obviously talking about something else. He's talking about repair. <laughs> when we're lazy, uh, those, let's say those home repairs catch up with us. But this does have some financial applications, but I'll let, I will let you think about those. And there's so many more passages, like Isaiah 55, Leviticus 25. Now, be careful, because the Old Testament is the Old Testament. There are principles there, but the rules do not carry across to the New Testament. It's a different testament. It's a different situation. Those are some of the lesser-known passages. However, growing up in Israel, as Zacchaeus did and the rich young uh, man, they would have been familiar, I think we can assume, with very many of those passages, if not the majority Lesser-known passages. I wonder if any of those is new to you. If you've been a Christian some time, consider yourself an older Christian who knows God's Word. How many of those did you know? Um, we won't count Ecclesiastes 10.18, but how, how about all the others? Now, some of you are saying, wow, maybe I didn't know that. Maybe you want to take a picture. So this is an opportunity. You can take a picture with your phone, okay? All right? If not, catch me on the stage later. Or um, at my website, I've got a whole section called Money, uh, full of articles and podcasts. Uh, check it out. So these two men are similar, but they're different. And the difference is, is what's important. Not that one is honored and one is dishonored, one is old and one is young, but it, the differences are how they responded to Jesus. One has to be commanded what to do. Jesus has to tell him what to do. The other one figures it out. Zacchaeus, the short guy, figures it out. Jesus never tells him, give away this much money, make a redress if you've cheated anybody, change your materialism, repent. Jesus never told him directly, at least, to give that up. But for the rich guy, Jesus actually has to put it into words. But even then, he won't accept it. One rejects Christ's teaching, the other embraces it. We're focusing on the one who rejected it, but in a happier message, we'll focus on the one who accepted it. But the question is, what is our response? Because as Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so the challenge to us is not to be possessed by possessions. Don't get attached to what is not eternal. Are we attached? Usually, that's a question about marital status. Uh, are you attached? Maybe biblically, it's more about our relationship to the world. I have lots of advice for you. If you read my newsletter this week, you saw I, I shared several things that I learned. Uh, one of the things I learned is that when you're using super glue uh, and it opens up and you're working with it, you don't want to get it on your fingers. That's just my advice to you. I, I, it was like five years old, <laughs> this little bottle, and something had fallen off of something on the wall, and, I, and it was already on my fingers, but I thought, I'll just stick the thing in anyway. And then somehow, I got my ring finger and the middle finger stuck together, not at the end, in the middle, and I got these two fingers stuck. So I came upstairs to my wife. It looks like, you know, trying to do shadow puppets or something. But I was stuck, and she said, you're not. She just broke out laughing. It is quite funny. 
I knew there was a solution. Solution is not to rip them apart. If you, you know, that would be incredibly painful. I asked, do we have any acetone? She found some nail polish remover. But here I am. Um, wow. Is this the only dumb thing I've done in the year 2019? That would be really great if it was the only dumb thing I've done. <laughs> it's just one in a whole list. What happened? Well, the index finger and the thumb are not meant to be attached to each other. That's not ideal. We're not supposed to be attached to the things of the world. But like crazy glue, super glue, gorilla glue, whatever it is, the world is incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. So we need to apply this. Well, already, let's answer that question. Am I possessed by money? Now, if you're not sure, ask someone who knows you. That'll help. But don't ask someone who's in an identical situation to you, because they'll say, of course not. Second, especially at this time of year, at this time of year, in these final 32 days leading up to Christmas, do I purchase whatever I desire? Do I de deny my eyes nothing, kind of like Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2? You've heard of Black Friday, and we're already being inundated, inundated with offers. Have nothing to do with it. Do not go. Do not rush out for those deals. Don't shop on Black Friday. Just don't do it. Why? Because you'll get attached. Are you saying no one can do it? No, I'm speaking the way Jesus often did, without qualifiers. I'll say this. If you're going to go shop on Black Friday, be smart. Don't get something you wouldn't have got otherwise. Don't binge. We have all kinds of binge activities. But Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas, this is a very good indicator of whether we are possessed by our possessions or whether we are unworldly and like Jesus. And I'm saying if you can't handle it, if it's going to put you into debt, stay away. It's not smart to go into debt. Modesty is not just not wearing revealing clothing. Modesty is how we live. Debt is a danger. Don't go into debt. Set an example for your children, your grandchildren. Debt has spiritual impact. And you see, I'm not really in debt because I put on the credit card. I don't actually have to pay anything in December. And now you're paying interest on a credit card? Not good. If you have no choice, I understand it. But debt on a card is the way the big companies make their money. And they want you as a single person. But let's say the spirit of those big institutions wants you to be in debt and have to pay a monthly fee. Get in a position where you don't have to pay anything. Don't go into debt. It's not smart. This may, Douglas, you're not preaching anymore. Now you're meddling. Well, maybe I am meddling a little bit. But if you're about to go out and do shopping, I hope you'll keep this message in mind. I hope that you will be serious about what our Lord taught about possessions and about wealth. And buying stuff you don't really need with money you don't have to impress people who don't care anyway is not the definition of being smart. Don't be attached to possessions. Imitate Jesus. He empowers us to overcome the world. You can't live this way without him. You'll get sucked back in. It's too powerful. The world is too sticky. You'll get pulled in. 
you will be possessed. The question is, are we? Just a couple of thoughts about the Lord's Supper. We do not need to be unhealthily attached to the world. There's no need for that. But if we're honest, how many of us would say, yes, we are attached? Really, there's very little hope you'll be able to live differently, counterculturally, especially at this time of year with the magnetic pull of these sails. But the power of Jesus' death enables us to make the right kind of attachment. And I would say the more attached we are to the Lord, the less appealing all these special sales are. Douglas is not saying never buy things on sale. It's smart to wait until they're on sale. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the inherent danger of possessions, of riches. The power of Jesus' death will enable us to overcome that. That grace, that power is activated as we remember the cross in communion. And so, let us pray at this time, and we'll have the the bread and the wine. Dear Lord, we are truly grateful for what Jesus did. He lived so simply. We all admire him, even if we're only just getting to know him. Maybe we've known him for a long time. And there are parts of his lifestyle that we want to make our own. But there's some parts that make us hesitant and anxious, especially the part about having no place to lay his head and, and dying with so few possessions, so different to our world. Help us to negotiate this and think this through clearly so we make wise decisions. Help us, please, not in this holiday season to do dumb things, go into debt, and be attached to sticky things that will take the rest of next year to pay off. Help us to be wise. By the power of Jesus, his grace activated as we meditate and give our hearts to him, give ourselves away. May this communion, the bread and the wine, give us the power that we need at this time of year. Amen.